you'll take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. We're finally getting to the interpretation of this dream we've been talking about for several Sundays now, and we'll begin reading at verse 31 and read uh, through verse uh, 45. Next week, we'll be looking at Daniel's promotion and just the dynamics of how Daniel responded and also how Nebuchadnezzar responded to this interpretation. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearing was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and the clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they... uh, has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things." And like the iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Did you get all that? Let's pray. Father, the interpretation is sure because you've given us the interpretation. And now, Father, we ask you to grant us wisdom to understand it that we might be encouraged in the day in which we live as citizens of this kingdom that shall never fail. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. You know, some software programs uh, run in the background as when I start my computer, there are certain programs that automatically start, and I really don't notice 
that they're even running while I'm doing my work on my computer because they're in the background. And there may be from time to time a little notice that pops up. But other than that, they're just there in the background running kind of unnoticed. And so I'm there working, you know, working on a document or I'm checking my calendar to see uh, my appointments or enter appointments. I'm checking email. Every now and then I'll, I'll check the news, you know, get the little banner and see what's going on in the news. I'm just doing all of this work on, on my computer and there are certain programs that are always running in the background. I mean, the operating system is always running in the background. We really don't even think about the operating system until our computer doesn't work. And then we think a lot about the operating system. And I want to suggest to you today that, that a software program running in the background is very much what Daniel tells us with regards to the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That there's all this stuff going on in human history that we can see and we can read about in history books. But in the background, there's always been, not a software program, but the kingdom of God. And it will continue. In light of this, I want to suggest to you that the four kingdoms that are represented in this image really represent all the kingdoms of humanity from the beginning of human history until the very last day of human history. But the real focus of the dream, the centerpiece is not Nebuchadnezzar, not the Babylonian Empire, but it is the fifth kingdom that we see described by Daniel in the latter part of the interpretation. It's the stone that we will find the, the identification of this stone later, that really is the center point. So as we work through this passage today, I want to first look at the content. Nebuchadnezzar asked for the content. Well, he's getting it today from Daniel. We want to look at the meaning, the interpretation that Daniel gives us. But we also want to ask this question, especially as we get to the, our understanding of this little stone, this mere stone that was cut out of a mountain and smashed the uh, potter's clay slash iron feet of the image, we want to see that that really helped us understand the purpose of the dream. So content, meaning, purpose, you'll find this on the sermon outline on page 6. Well, first... The content. Thus far, we've looked at chapter 2. We've seen Nebuchadnezzar become all insecure and panic-stricken because of this sleepless night or sleepless nights that he had having this dream. And And he knows that there's something really important about this dream, but no one can interpret it. And so he reacts with insecurity and anger. We've also seen in chapter 2 that Daniel responds as a faithful servant of God. And we see Daniel mediating between Nebuchadnezzar and the other wise men, bringing about a good resolution, but also making a promise to Arioch, the captain of the guard, that, hey, listen, if you will get me before Nebuchadnezzar, I will give him the content of the dream, and I will interpret the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. We find Daniel doing that in the passage that we've already read this morning. And I just want to give a 60,000-foot view of this dream, it really speaks of, of two kingdoms, the kingdom, kingdoms of men and the kingdom of God. 
And we find that the kingdom of men are those kingdoms, those nations, those entities in world history that are created by men, established by men. But notice how the interpretation describes the kingdom of God. It is made without human hands. So it is something very different, otherworldly than the kingdoms that are imaged in the great image that we find in this chapter. And we find then two elements and a cause and effect in this dream. The elements are you have this great image and then you have this mere stone. And then the cause and effect is the mere stone. Let's just say little stone. Let's just say pebble maybe. I don't know how big the stone was. But in comparison to the great image, this mere stone is extracted, cut out from the mountain, not by human hands. And what does it do? It crushes the feet of that image. And what happens? The whole image is destroyed, not just destroyed and crumbles into a pile of rubble, but the pieces are so minute that like chaff, the wind blows it away where there is no trace left of of this kingdom. So I would say there's quite the cause and effect (laughs) by this, this little, mere, insignificant stone that comes out of the mountain. Now we find Nebuchadnezzar, the, the first element, is looking at this, this great image. If you look to verses 31 and, and 33, you will see that indeed this is a, a great image. And Daniel says, you, you Nebuchadnezzar, here's your content, here's what you dreamed. And he describes this great image. How does he describe it? That it's mighty, that it's very bright, and that it is frightening. And so Daniel stood before, before King Nebuchadnezzar and describe this content. And I want to make uh, two observations. First, the, the description of the image as mighty, bright, frightening really describes Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. In fact, think of it like this. As Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar the content of the dream, I think Nebuchadnezzar already knew the content of the dream, and he was just simply testing his wise men, but that's up for debate. But regardless, it's almost as if Nebuchadnezzar is standing before a mirror and saying, yeah, that's me. Isn't truly, I am that great image. I am mighty, I am powerful, and yes, I am frightening. I mean, think of Nebuchadnezzar. He could just give a word as he sought to do, And heads would literally roll. He ordered the destruction of all of the wise men. And so we see Nebuchadnezzar as being very, very powerful. I love the way one commentator put it. He describes Nebuchadnezzar as a despot and a megalomaniac seeking world domination. And he was maybe in our day more of of a Hitler figure who was all about conquering and subjecting Uh, people. He had virtually unlimited power from a human perspective. And so, yes, the image was great. And as people, as Nebuchadnezzar looked at himself, yes, that describes me. And as other people in Nebuchadnezzar's day looked at him, they said, yes, that describes you. You are great, Nebuchadnezzar. And I would suggest to you that probably every human uh, kingdom that has ever existed, that exists today, and that will exist, has a sense of 
I'm great. We think about the great American nation. And we think about the great British empire of several generations ago. Well, we see then the second element to this. Not only does does Daniel rightly give the content describing this great statue, but he also shows Nebuchadnezzar that he knows the content and thus is able to give the interpretation. And so we, we find Daniel in a sense, justifying himself in a, in a positive way, saying, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to tell you what the content of your dream is, and I want to prove to you that I can also interpret the dream that we'll get to in just a moment. So let's look at verses 32 and 33. It describes this great image in, in human form. I just want to quickly work, work through this. Obviously, the, the, the image described in human form emphasizes the fact that, that this, these are kingdoms and nations that are established by, by men, human kingdoms. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom, is described as uh, fine gold, the head of gold. Then you have the chest and the arms. Uh, that's, that's the next uh, kingdom, and that's, that's silver. And then following that, you have the middle of the body and the thighs. They're depicted as bronze. And then you have the fourth kingdom, which includes the legs and the feet, the legs being of iron, the feet being of potter's clay mixed with iron. And that's the image that, that Nebuchadnezzar saw. We, we see a progression of value from more precious to less precious. We also see the fact that this statue is top-heavy, probably little legs and little feet and a big old gold head. And so when the stone hits the feet, it just topples very easily being top-heavy. But there's, a, there's another element to this story. In verses 34 through, through uh, 35, we, we see that uh, Daniel turns to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he looked at Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, an old king, by the way, there's a stone that is cut out of the mountain that you dreamed. And the cause and effect is, as we've already talked about, that this stone will strike the feet, break the feet, and the whole image will collapse, and the whole image will be utterly destroyed, broken into pieces, blown away by the wind, not a trace left. And so the effect was the stone hitting the image, relatively small stone, and then the great image now destroyed. What happens to the stone? It becomes a great, we can say greater, mountain that fills the earth. And Daniel in verse 36 says, this was the dream. And now the story moves to the interpretation of the dream, which is where I want to go quickly now so we don't run out of time. First, let's look at the meaning of the image itself. We'll look at the, the meaning of the image, and then we'll look at the meaning of the stone, which is really getting into our third point, which is the purpose. So the meaning of the image. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar, as he was listening to Daniel talk about the fact that, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the fine gold, you are the head. He said, yes, that's me. I indeed am great. And I am valuable, but we'll look at this, this image literally from head to the toes and see what we have. So in verse 37, the, uh, Daniel says, you are 
the head of gold. And then he gives this description. You know, we have, we've sung this morning about, about God being mighty and powerful. But the, the words that, that, that Daniel speaks that were given to him by God to reveal the mystery of this dream uses similar language to describe Nebuchadnezzar, that he is the king of kings. Wait a minute, what are you t- talking about? Nebuchadnezzar is the king of kings, but it really refers to Nebuchadnezzar on a human level and the level of the horizontal human history being a great and powerful king, a king over lesser kings. And truly, as people in Nebuchadnezzar's day looked at him, they would say, yes, he is the king of kings. His greatness, his power, his might, his, he is glorious. And then in verse 38, we, we find Daniel saying that, Nebuchadnezzar, you have been made to rule over all men, beasts, and birds. So in the horizontal perspective, it looks like Nebuchadnezzar is the supreme ruler over all. But listen to what the text says. Nebuchadnezzar, you have been made to rule. See, his reign, his ability to rule, his authority is something that had been granted to him by God. God is the one who has set up his kingdom in verse 37. The God of heaven gave you this kingdom. In verse 38, the God of heaven has has given you authority, Nebuchadnezzar, to rule over this kingdom. You see, from a theological perspective or from a vertical perspective, we see that God is the one who is the actor. He is the one who is over Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom. For he granted this. I love what Sinclair Ferguson says, and I quote Dr. Ferguson. From the standpoint of divine purpose, however, Nebuchadnezzar was reduced to the level of a spectator. If he is a a world ruler, it is because God rules the world. And this is the interpretation of the dream regarding the head of gold. Let me ask you, when did the Babylonian Empire begin? I'll tell you, 625 B.C. Can anyone tell me when it ended? I'll tell you, 539 B.C. See, I'm letting you off the hook way too easy. If I had a ball like Theo, I could throw it out there. Whoever caught it, I'd make you answer the question. We learned that in Sunday school. 625 to 539. Nebuchadnezzar, head of gold, Babylonian Empire, king of kings, ruler over all, ended. Beginning dash end. That's what's on his tombstone, wherever it is. And this is the reality of world kings. Kingdoms come and go, as we learn in verses 39 and 40. Look what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom was finite, and though a kingdom that was inferior with his rose up after him, A kingdom did rise up after the Babylonian Empire and replaced it. And so Daniel reports this. And what replaced the Babylonian Empire is what is represented by the chest chest and arms of silver. And we know that to be the Medo-Persian Empire. We'll read about Cyrus later on, giving a decree for Ezra and Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem. But guess what? The Medo-Persian Empire, they have a beginning date and an end date. I'll give it to you. 
539 to 331 B.C., kind of a brief kingdom, but nonetheless, 539 to 331. And then, then Daniel says, after the Medo-Persian Empire comes another empire. This one's really interesting because it is an empire that we read about that will rule over all the earth. And this empire began in 331 B.C. and ended in 63 B.C., and you're probably wondering, I bet that is the empire of Greece, the Greek empire, with the great emperor Alexander the Great, who was reported in his 20s when he wept because there were no more lands to conquer. <laughs> as great as that kingdom was, though it was inferior to Babylon, as great as that kingdom was, can you believe an emperor weeping because there's no more war to make? Daniel is right that it did appear on the horizontal plane of human history that Alexander the Great had conquered the whole world at the time. But in 63 B.C. it ended. And then we have the fourth kingdom. And much is given about the fourth kingdom in verses 40 through 43. The strength and firmness of this kingdom is depicted by the metal iron of the legs. But it also has a soft side. <laughs> Ray keeps telling me I need a soft side. But uh, I almost wanted to go to Dan, our potter, our, our resident potter, and say, Dan, make me a, and he could do this, I'm sure he could, uh, a set of feet that are made out of iron and potter's clay. And so there's a soft side to this kingdom, and the text tells us in verse 41 that it will be a divided kingdom. It will have two elements that do not bond together, softness and hardness. Iron and potter's clay may be mixed, but they do not bind together. They do not stick together and become a whole. They always remain separated, and this describes the fourth kingdom. In fact, the text says, in somewhat cryptic fashion, it uses the illustration about marriage and that uh, the two will be married, but yet they won't become a whole, and talks about intermarriage, and really in the Hebrew, that literally marriage is translated the seed of the man. This is why I say it's very, very cryptic. We're not exactly sure what to make of this, but here's an, here's an idea. That if indeed the Hebrew seed of the man is the translation for the Hebrew word designated marriage, it immediately takes us to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 19 where we have this prohibition, don't plant two different seeds in the same field. Because you're going to wind up with two very different things. I've done that. It's not fun. And so, however, this issue of marriage is simply enforcing the fact that this fourth empire is going to have two elements brought together wanting unity but will never be united because iron and potter's clay don't bind together though they may be mixed well the fourth kingdom began in 63 bc and it ended in 476, A.D. 476, a pretty good run, I would say, for a world kingdome, about, what, 530-some uh, years. 
And that kingdom, of course, is the Roman Empire. But note, it has a beginning date and it has an end date. And do you think the Roman Empire was strong? This is a quote that was said by some historian about the Roman Empire. They make a desert and call it peace. In other words, like iron, Rome crushed everything that was in its path as it sought to literally conquer the world, making a desert out of nations and lands and calling it peace. The Roman Empire was strong. But all you have to do is go to Romans chapter 1 and begin reading in verse 18 and read to the end of Romans chapter 1 and you will see not softness in a positive way but softness in a very harmful way, softness in a brittle way of why Rome really fell. Because Paul in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through the end of the chapter describes the moral and spiritual decay that was prevalent in the culture of Rome. Strength, moral and spiritual decay don't bind together to form a whole. And I want to suggest to you today that when we look at human history and we see an empire fall, we may think, well, it's an invading army. We may think, well, the economy collapsed. But I would suggest to you, it's moral and spiritual decay that is in the backdrop and is underneath that causes nations and empires to fall. Rome was great. Greece was great. The Medo-Persian Empire was great. Babylon was great, but they were all subject to fall, and they fell. And I believe, once again, we can trace the reason being moral and spiritual decay. We've looked at the content of the dream and the interpretation of the image. And next week, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to stop today, because when we look at the second element in this interpretation, the stone, we really need to have some time because it's incredibly encouraging what, um, what Daniel says here about this, this stone, about this fifth kingdom. And we've got four minutes until 12, and I can't possibly get you as excited as I, as I am <laughs> about the reality of this fifth kingdom. But I'm going to end next week with this. I just want to give you a preview just for you to be thinking. What did I say about Rome? Is that it fell because of the moral and spiritual decay. That's the real reason. 
And I want you to look at our country today. And I just simply want you to think about this question. Is there moral and spiritual decay in our great country? And I'm not a prophet. My dad wasn't a prophet, so therefore I'm not a son of a prophet. I guess I am a prophet in a little peace sense because I'm a preacher. But you know what I mean. I can't tell the future. I have no right to speak about culture, really. I'm just a pastor. So, you know, in, in, in one respect, I, I almost, I'm almost hesitant to say this, but I only say it because I, I see this is what Daniel was showing Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to say this about our country. We should expect it to fall. If the trajectory of the moral and spiritual fiber of this country is not changed. But we should expect it to fall anyway. Because the little stone is coming back. And the great image is going to fall. And it is going to break into so many pieces that I could blow it away with the breath of my mouth so that not a trace will be left and only one thing will be standing. And that which will be standing is not the United States of America. As much as I love our country and as great as it is, what will be standing is the kingdom of God of which we are citizens through Christ. And hence the excitement that we'll talk about next week. I hope this has been helpful to you, if nothing else, to help you think, along with me, rightly about the day in which we live. And if all we do is focus on the moral and spiritual state of our country, we are going to be so pessimistic and we're going to have such a defeatist attitude. But we're not citizens of the United States of America, really. We're citizens of heaven through Jesus Christ. And today, if you don't know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to ask you this week to consider that there's one way to get into the kingdom of God. This great kingdom that's represented by this little itty-bitty mirror stone that, come, that, that comes and becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. And it's through acknowledging your sin Trusting in Him, like we sang about after the baptism, like we talked about during the baptism. Trusting in Jesus for everlasting life. And He's promised to make you a citizen of the kingdom that will stand forever. Amen? Father, thank you for these hard words because it's almost impossible for me to read Daniel chapter 2 and not think about just how desperate we are in this country, but also, Lord... What glorious and encouraging words of triumph and victory through Jesus Christ, that little stone. Encourage our hearts, prepare us for next week to come and gather around the table and gather around your word and learn of the excitement of your kingdom. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.